What's up, guys? Justin Ledford here, the host of the Real Construction Owners Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about an exciting topic, which is how to grow your business using channeling partners, specifically home inspectors. Home inspectors are like the golden platter. They can give you so many referrals. So you're going to want to pay close attention. But before we dive into that, I want to tell you about an opportunity to take my blueprint to ethically steal all the trials and tribulations that I had to go to to become really good at winning government contracts. And I want to give this to you. I have a self-paced course. It includes 33 lectures, a 30-day challenge to make you $30,000, a comprehensive digital manual, an exclusive private online community, weekly calls with me. So you can succeed at winning these government contracts, whether you want to supply the government with cell phones or laptops or janitorial services or lawn care services, or you want to supply them with government contracts and build a million dollar, two, five million dollar roof for them. There's tens of thousands of these opportunities available every single day and they're being not being bid because there's not enough people bidding them. So if you're interested, I do have some links in the comment down below. Now let's go ahead and get back to the topic. Let's explore how contractors can partner with home inspectors and grow their business. Here we go. Welcome to the Real Construction Owners Podcast, where we interview real construction owners and business owners doing big things to help you go from being a stressed out operator to an owner who's thriving and living your best life. Today, we have a personal friend of mine, Austin Gray, and the owner of Gray Home Inspections, Inc. out of Florida. And even though he's in the home inspection business contract, as I know what you're thinking, you're going to want to pay close attention because I know this guy personally, and he's got many jewels of wisdom to share with you to help you grow your business. So stay tuned. What's up, Austin? How you doing today, brother? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on your show. Man, you know, I got to stay busy now that my business runs itself. Might as well connect with great people like yourself. I like living vicariously through you out there in Costa Rica. I'm enjoying it. Hey, you know, every Thursday we talk, we're part of GoBundance. Uh, you're in my GoPod, which means we connect weekly. And what what has that done for you? Like, what is connecting weekly done with, for you? What has being a part of Good Masterminds done for you? It just keeps you in the conversation constantly, right? And, you know, before I initially joined any of those groups, I was in one before GoBundance and still am. And my mindset before I went in there, I was kind of like, okay, I'm doing everything right. My business is growing. I'm going to step into this program here. I'm going to pay this money and I'm going to stay around for a month or two, get the information that I need. And I'm just going to leave. You know, I don't need to have that. And then after being in there for a month or two, you just learn that just being in the conversation, being around people who are much smarter and brighter than you are, it really just is transformative, not only for your life, but for your business. Um, and those two both go hand in hand, obviously. Uh, so I love GoBundance, just being in the conversation with people like yourself, ultra successful individuals from around the country, um, younger guys. It's just inspirational. And it's just, it's been life changing. Now, Austin, before we dive into the processes, investments, and best strategies to growing a business, I would like our audience to listen in. Why should they listen to you? Tell us your story. Walk us down, you know, the path and the successes you've acquired so our audience can know, hey, I do need to listen this guy. Yeah. So uh, we started the business, uh, the home inspection business back in 2017. And since then, we've now grown to a company of 14. Uh, since that short amount of time frame, so we're just now getting to the uh, almost six year mark. And during that time and that process, what we've also done is open up a second company. So we own a home inspection company and now a pest control company. So we do a full service pest control, termite, mosquito, everything. And it's really interesting with how the home inspection world is transforming as 
rapidly as it is. Uh, the business model of a home inspector used to be that it was a chuck in a truck or a guy out there just breaking his back. And then you are either you get to a point in life where you're forced out, you know, either through injury or just through age. You just can't simply do it anymore. Uh, now it's really gotten to a point where it's more team oriented. So most of the companies that you're seeing now are, are home inspection teams. You've got, you know, five to uh, 200 employees in some of these inspection companies around the country. And one of the things that we really love about the inspection industry is that it is the golden ticket. Typically, when you're going into a property, and what I mean by that is, you know, you go there, you do the inspection, you're finding these people five, 10, 15, 20, $100,000 worth of issues, and then they may buy it, they may get a reduction in price. So typically, when they close in the house, they're already happy with you. So building out other business verticals, such as the pest control company here in Florida, where bugs and roaches and termites just never sleep. Yeah, you're in that swamp. You're in that swamp. So they're like, they're like, give me a place to crawl into. Right. So, uh, you know, with that being said, with the pest control, that's just the, that's just the top of the surface of the water of what we're starting to do here. Uh, we're working on a concierge business that basically gets with our customers and we'll call them for roofing quotes, uh, you know, replace roofs, um, mold remediation work. Uh, we want to be the center point of contact for all these customers and what better way to do that by getting in front of them, by not having to pay any sort of advertising for other businesses, right? I know some of the pest control world and some of the areas, uh, you know, your CAC, your cost average for click for pest control is somewhere three to $500 in some areas. And we can get in those for those customers for free and they're already happy with us. And the same thing with the, with the other business verticals. So having a conversation with a home inspector uh, is, is one that's turning into an interesting one. And we're really happy to be where we are today. Man, so many jewels of wisdom. And in a little bit, I want to hear your story of how this all got started. But let's extrapolate some wisdom right there. Contractors. So this is a home inspector. And if you're a contractor and you don't have a home inspector that you're tight with, go do that right away because that's called channel partner. He's a channeling partner where he gets the uh, real estate report. He's given it to the end buyer, the homeowner, and saying, this is all wrong. All this is wrong. And then that homeowner already likes him and trusts him because they're like his investigator. He's the one with the little, you know. Uh, magnifying glass, looking at all the issues the homeowner would have never saw. So the homeowner likes them and trusts them. And then, you know, there's this crack on the, the wall. There's this roof issue. There's this foundation issue. And he can be your go-to channeling partner. And if not him, somebody else in your market that can be your go-to channeling partner. And on top of that, he said something very valuable about the pest control business. You know, when times get tough, recession, you know, think people, they want to hold back their money and not buy you know, that whatever, the Gatorade or the go to the movies or whatever, they that ex- secondary non-resource money. Well, if a roach runs across the floor or on the bed, you better believe Miss Jones, she's going to be calling the pest control people because she hates roaches. Is that right? That's right. And I like how you actually <laughs> referenced Miss Jones because that's the uh, that's the go-to name in the pest control world. No matter where you go, it's, oh, yes, Miss Jones, Mr. Jones, uh, and the pest control yeah. says, good job. Yes, same in the roofing. Hey, so now tell us your story. You know, what, how did how did you get where you're at? You know, what were you doing before 2017 when you started this business? You know, paint the picture. Yeah, graduated high school in 2007. Uh, I've got a few siblings, and uh, my dad is an architect here in the area. And uh, all throughout growing up, I loved doing the architecture stuff. He designed a lot of football players' houses and a lot of really famous people. So 
I like that aspect of being able to meet those really cool people when you're younger. So my goal as a kid growing up was I didn't want to go to college. You know, I just wanted to go work for my dad and be a draftsman and kind of take over that business one day. So I slowly learned how to do AutoCAD. And then after 2007 is when I really took it on. Um, I did that part time and worked for my dad doing that uh, at nights and weekends. And I did it for almost a decade. And uh, as I was doing that part time, as soon as I graduated high school, I was doing uh, Northeast Florida's Builders Association. It's called NEFPA. And they had an apprenticeship program that came out right as I graduated high school in 07. It was also the time in Northeast Florida whenever the economy was starting to tank. I initially wanted to go into HVAC work, but they weren't taking anyone on. So I ended up doing plumbing. Um, so I did a lot of new construction top out work. So I did some high rises that went up in downtown, uh, did some high schools and a dialysis center, did some things for about two years. And I figured out that that just wasn't for me. Um, after that, I went back to school and got my associates, um, uh, construction management. And then during that time, that, that phase of my life, I was like, you know, maybe I don't want to sit in an office all day and, uh, do the drafting thing. So when I was going to college, uh, I was still doing part-time work for my dad. And then I went to full-time for about maybe close to three years, got laid off by my dad. He's one of the, the largest, most successful guys in the, in the state and in the Southeast. And so I was the first person to go, you know, it was kind of an eerie feeling for a year or two, whenever it was just slowly getting slower and slower and slower, you with the custom homes. And so it wasn't a surprise, but at the same time I was at home, uh, living at home still. So it was more of like, Hey, go home. Your mom's making dinner type thing. You know, <laughs> you're laid off, but don't worry. Yeah. You can go home and eat dinner. Right. Yeah. And so I wasn't <laughs> mad about it. You know, we had a cool house. I was living on the river. I was able to look at the water. I'm like, all right, I'll just hang out at the house for a little bit. So. <laughs> There was like a brief moment in my life where I was working for Publix, doing part-time work here and there. And, you know, I was like, what do I want to do? Like, that was just kind of in a depressed state, to be honest with you. And during that time, it was whenever North Dakota was starting to pop off with the Bakken, uh, which was the, the oil that they discovered up there. And um, the only thing I heard about it was stuff on YouTube. And my mom said that one of her friend's son went out there. I was like, oh, OK, whatever. Well, on Facebook one day, one of my buddies had posted um, this up post and it, and it had North Dakota in there. I'm like, what the heck is DJ doing up there? And so I pick up the phone. Hey, man, what's going on? Where are you at? Oh, I'm in North Dakota working. It's like, is there any work up there? Is it legit, you know, from what you hear on uh, the interweb? And he's like, yeah, man, I can get you a job. He's like, it's crazy. I said, okay. So I was living at the beach at the time. And my uh, girlfriend, now wife, was in law school. And she was always, you know, if you've ever dated someone or known someone in law school, you're busy. Five days yeah. a week, seven days. So I was like, what a perfect time for me to just go away. You know, you're busy. Yeah. Let me do my thing until you graduate. So I looked at her and uh, I kind of skipped a step about trying to get in the military, but shoulder issues, they didn't want me in at the time. Um, so I looked at her and I said, okay, well, I can't do this. I'm not going to work at Publix. I said, I'm going to North Dakota. And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah. And, you know, the crazy part was at the time I was driving a 1997 F-150 step side with like that teal color. Yep. And so the first thing that I did is I went online after I told her I was going to North Dakota. Like I was dead set. Like I was going. And you I was painted like, it. You painted it, right? Yeah, man. I, I like painting that picture. <laughs> you didn't want to show up. You didn't want to show up with pipe fitters and welders and a teal F-150. Yeah. <laughs> so I get out there and I was, uh, well, I, I, I get online and I find this uh, like truck topper, like used truck toppers in Tampa, Florida. And lo and behold, they had a teal topper that matched a single cab short bed style side truck. I was like, oh my gosh, if this isn't fate, 
I don't know what is. So the next day I drove down to Tampa, picked up this topper and I came back and I started building it. My mom helped me. We put blinds in there and we bought like a cot and we bought a bunch of stuff, put my clothes in there. We bought a little generator on the back of the truck to power a couple of things. I knew I was going to be sleeping in my truck for a little bit. There were no hotels out there in Watford City where I was going. And if they were, they were $800 a night. So within two weeks, I left, got up to North Dakota, worked up there for a couple of years, got a job in like a week and a half, basically. Um, Called my dad uh, like a week into it. I said, I'm going home. Like, I can't do this. And he's like, I get it. He's like, good job. You made it out there. And he's like, but give it two days. And the next day I got a call from the company like, hey, we're ready to have you on. So luckily that happened. And then. um, Isn't that funny how fate fate does that to you? Like you're at the edge of the gold mine. You're about to hit the gold or the diamonds. You've got acres of diamonds in front of you. You just can't see them. And then some people just give up. But some people just keep going. And then they find their blessings. It's cool that you share that because I've had that happen to me so many times where I wanted to give up, but I just kept going and I, kept, I put my head down. And I, I, I silenced the haters and, and then yeah. the bounties and the blessings arrived. That's a cool, sh- that's a cool story. Carry on. And it's crazy how you, in some things in life, you just remember everything about that day. I remember the shoes I had on when I had that conversation. I remember where I was, what parking lot I was in. I was sitting in the driver's seat, hunched over my steering wheel, just, you know, having <clears throat> a moment of almost like an anxiety attack. Like I just drove 2,400 miles up here on a whim, you know, to get a job that I was promised to get. And then all of a sudden, after not getting a job after, you know, five to seven days, it's like, oh my gosh. I just don't know what I did. I know what to think, you know, and then luckily it happened. So after that, made great money, uh, made over $150,000 my first year, and then tried to convince my wife to move up there. She was my fiance at that point. Um, to She's just like, for, oh, you crazy. You're going to take me away from these like, tropical, tropical sunsets? <laughs> it was something like that. And uh, she grew up in West Virginia. It's always cloudy and cold there, right? So I was like, she'll be fine. Like, we'll make this work. So I drove her up in the new truck that I bought January 1st. And so she saw the 40 below wind chill. Like, it was cold that week. Yeah. And so she was like, hell no. So I was like, all right, whatever. I guess I got to go home because um, she's not going to you know, marry me if I'm living up here. So I came home and I didn't know what I was going to do. So during that time of trying to figure out when I was going to come home, her dad was the chief mechanical officer for Florida East Coast Railway. And he's like, I can get you on a job at the railroad. And I'm like, doing what? Working on locomotives. And I was like, I know nothing about locomotives or or being a machinist, but sure. How much does it pay? And it paid enough, right? And I was like, okay, we can make that work. So I came back. And when I got there, I knew that that was just a stepping stone. I did not want to work for the the rest of my life. I didn't want to do that. So I said, um, okay, I'm going to set out a goal to figure out what I'm going to do to get back into the construction world. And I bought a house. And one day, here's fate again. I was supposed to go down to uh, Fort Lauderdale to go pick up a boat. Well, I lost my $1,000 deposit that morning because when I woke up, I had cold feet. And I was like, it's just not the boat that I want. I called the guy, you know, and he's like, hey, sorry, I can't give your money back, you know, because we agreed on this deposit. said, I'm fine with that. So I was outside playing with the dog that day. And then my neighbors to the left of me were selling their house in this Home inspector pulled up. He had a tool belt on, and I walk up. To and him, he I looked said, cool. He looked cool, didn't he? Yeah, man. He looked. You were cool like, like, dude, a- this guy looks really cool. I got to see what yeah, he's doing. I don't, I don't know about cool. I know about nerdy. And uh, <laughs> hey, up, that's but- that's my mo. When I'm when I'm actually out working, like selling, I ha- I look like a roofer. I got the the vest on. I got the belt on. I got the la- the little hammer. And even though I don't swing the hammer or build roofs, I sub I subcontact everything. When I go to that front door, you better believe they think I am the roofer. <laughs> yep. There you go. Uh, yeah. Go, carry, carry on. My bad. I digress. Carry on. Go no, on. No, you're good. That's that's accurate in some situations. 
So yeah. I don't know if you've ever walked up to a home inspector, known anyone that's walked up to a home inspector and said, hey, are you hiring? But it doesn't really happen. Uh, so I was like, hey, man, uh, are you the home inspector? Yeah. Why? What's up? He gave me a weird look. And I said, I'm kind of interested in being a home inspector. And it was like, a, really? It's like, yeah. And I told him my background. He's like, if you're interested, here's my card. Call me. <clears throat> I was like on a Monday or something. Yeah, I was off on Monday. So that was a Monday. Uh, so I said, hey, man, um, I work at night at the railroad. I start at three. Um, can I come shadow you? And he's like, call me. So I called him that afternoon at like five or six and I said hey I'm really interested in doing this he's like well I'm going to be at this house tomorrow I said okay I'll be there so I showed up <clears throat> and he's like man I didn't think you were going to show up <clears throat> and uh, did that and it was like a, a hundred year old house had a crawl space a bunch of stuff was going wrong with it and after I did that inspection I was like yeah I want to do this I could do this you know I, I saw what he was doing I was pretty knowledgeable and so I was like let's roll with it so I started doing that. I was training with him full time, five days a week. I was starting at nine o'clock in the mornings with him uh, and then going to work at the railroad from three to 11 p.m. And then you were you were ambitious. You were. You I, were mean, I, I, I know I didn't. Ha I know my option was either the railroad or something else. You better figure it out quick before time gets a hold of you. So um, I started working after about by myself about. Um, eight months to a year after that, because I wanted to make sure I learned from this guy that I knew everything that I that I could. Um, the very first house that I did by myself, I had never done a block house because it's all wood frame around here. Never looked at a block house with him. It had a metal roof, and I still hadn't gotten on a metal roof with him during the <laughs> months. And I was like, I'm freaking out, man. And I'm like, oh my god. Did Is you have him? Did, did you call him? Did you call him? Yeah, and then, dude, I was saying, hey, freaking out. Because he told me, and I tell our guys all the time, like, listen, like, we're going to get you trained up in, you know, three to four months tops. And during that time, you're going to see a lot, but you're not going to see everything. I mean, there's stuff, I'll go out to a house, you know, I don't do many now, but it's, you know, six years later, I go to a house, like, oh, I haven't seen that before. Like, what's going on? Um, so I was, I was a little nervous, we'll to say the least. Like, I don't know what to look at or, you know, how to tell anything. So after that, I started working with them. And the most inspections that company ever sent me when I was on my own was three in one week. And I was like, what the heck, man? Like, I'm available six days a week is what I told him every day but Sunday. And so being that my dad's the architect, we've got a big family and we've always been here in Jacksonville. We just know a lot of people. So a lot of realtors know our family. And I had a couple realtors within like a two or three month stretch that reached out to me. Hey, we, you were busy, you know, yesterday, but I'll get you on the next. And I'm messaging back. No, I wasn't busy. I was sitting at home. And so I figured out what was going on. And they were telling these people who were requesting me. Uh, that I wasn't available. And I was like, I know where this is going. So I just started to start my own thing. And um, and that's that's a valuable. Let's just pause right there. Hold that thought. So many valuable lessons in this, what you've said so far, you know, in construction, you can figure it out the hard way by spending your time and energy and sweat and stress and tears, or you can find a mentor and model them. And that's what you did. You found a mentor, modeled him, gave you a blueprint, gave you a strategy, and you got a majority of everything you needed. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, you, when it comes to paying your salespeople as a contractor, you want to make sure you're feeding your horses. You're giving them leads. You want to make sure that you're compensating them and giving them opportunity. Because if you don't, they, if it's not fair, it's not fun. That's a motto that we go by in our business. And if people feel, feel it's not fair, then they start to think grass is greener elsewhere. So thanks for sharing that. Carry on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm, as I'm looking in the mirror here, I was traveling all day yesterday. So I was like, I have bags in my eyes. I look horrible. So 
Uh, so we get oh, to good. that point, right? And it kind of shows how much they valued myself or you know, they shouldn't have been intimidated. It, it wasn't anything like that. I mean, at that time, my thought process, just to be completely honest with you, was not to start my own thing. That was not my intention. But it became that way because of how I was treated and how I was valued by this company. And so I started doing it on my own, but I was still at the railroad, right? I wanted to make sure that I had a good enough customer base to make it happen. So I was working, I was doing inspections at 9 a.m. and 12 p.m., five to six days a week. And I was balls to the wall. All the while, I was also still at the railroad from 3 to 11. So I would do all this. I'd be rushing around, running, getting there. I would be driving a locomotive. It's been long enough now where I won't get in trouble. Uh, but I would be driving the locomotive around the shop, moving it around, answering a phone. Yeah, 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 I'm available tomorrow. Yeah, okay, yeah. absolutely. And so it was yeah. at that point one day where I'm like, I got to hire somebody. You know, as I was working for the railroad, I was like, I got to hire somebody here to, to, to help, uh, you know, Hindsight's twenty twenty. I would have done it much differently, but my first hire was another technician. Um, I should have hired an operations person first. Uh, but we'll okay. So let's let's hit on that right now. As a contractor who is maybe a one man show and maybe has some teaming subs that get the work done, what are some lessons that you can share uh, in scaling and growing the business past swinging the hammer or running the inspection? Like walk us through how you've done it in a fast forward kind of method. Well. Had I would have known what a one sheet is, or had I would have known to, you know, maybe it's smart to write out a five-year plan, uh, business could have been much differently, much more rapid, right? And we've done well in five years, but those are things that I would say, hey, if you're a single operator right now, if you're a chuck in a truck, you know, what's your end game? What do you plan on doing in five years? What do you plan on doing in 10 years? Do you want to be working out there because no one else can do it as good as you, or no one else can answer the phone like you can, or no one else can do it like this? Think about it. We're 20s. We're in our 20s or 30s. We're all healthy. Most guys our age are proud people, you know, and they don't want to have anyone else doing the work or they can't see past 5, 10, 15 years. And that's where it becomes really important. You need to write out your life, your five-year plan and get to that point. And I'm kind of repeating myself. Uh, but the first thing that I would have done would have been to hire an operations, uh, answer all the inbound, outbound phone calls, uh, all of your follow-up contacts. I would have had this person uh, going to meet with realtors, sitting in on meetings, uh, taking away everything that wasn't the work of a technician, um, getting me out of the field, not out of the field, but um, relieving all of the, uh, the day-to-day work that was taking away from my, uh, sorry, I'm trying to put the words together. It took everything off my plate to where I could do a good enough job and not have to worry about everything else. So me personally, I would have hired an operations for persons first. Then a technician would have been rapidly second. Um, I kind of did it the exact opposite. Um, but scaling up, what we've done is we've added operations. We have two uh, virtual assistants who I swore to myself that we would never do, but they have been absolutely phenomenal. Um, they speak great English and, you know, we interviewed them, uh, with this very particular, this very specific company who deals with real estate, basically only companies. Um, and they have just been an absolute blessing to us. And, uh, they, they do everything that we don't want to do. And some they'll do, they'll manage our CRM systems. They, uh, book all the inspections, callbacks, uh, refunds. I mean, you name it and they'll do it. They'll handle it. Um, don't you love, so, don't you just absolutely love virtual assistants? I, I have a total of 
five I can think of off the top of my head. And that's why I'm able to live this life because I don't have to do anything. It's all done for me. If you don't have a VA and you're a contractor, that write out your processes, write out how what they need to do, a standard standard operating procedure, and then you know test the waters. Find somebody who can do some of that stuff for you. And I'm telling you, you might have to go through a few before you find the one. But when you find the one, it gives you your time back. It gives you your life back. Carry on. Thank you for mentioning uh, uh, processes and procedures. So I feel like that's an ongoing thing. That's the most tedious thing in a business, but it's the most important thing. If you have a set process, your procedures are clearly written out, you can basically hand your business to anyone. There's a reason why McDonald's is run by 19 and 20-year-olds. It's because their policies and their processes and procedures are so precise and accurate and on the point that they're able to operate the largest company or one of the largest companies in the world by essentially teenagers, right? And if you can model that and have your own set of policies and procedures for no matter what type of work or trade that you're in, you can really scale your business quickly. Um, you know, what would you say is a process you're most proud of in your business? One that we've worked on, you know, specifically for the inspection world is just getting down the, uh, the inspection itself. Hey guys, this is how you walk into a house. This is what you do first. This is what you do second, third, fourth, fifth. This is how you review, uh, your inspection itself before you leave the actual process of doing an inspection the way that I did it, um, has been the one that I'm the most proud of because, putting that into words or putting that into writing um, to give to an individual, then to have them study that, read that. It's one thing to train them, but when they can actually read it, uh, they digest it a little better. Uh, but that one's probably the one I'm most proud of uh, because before I had that procedure down, it was, you know, me training that guy in the field for, you know, three to six months at the beginning um, until I felt that he was ready. And then I wasn't always following up with guys. I wasn't always reviewing reports or doing things. And I found that my first few hires just started doing things their own ways, but items were getting missed. Um, our agents weren't happy, right? Because they were used to myself doing it a very particular certain way. So if you're a plumber and you're used to going to a house and you know putting on shoe covers or putting out a floor mat before you walk in or you know whatever it may be, if you don't have that written down, if you don't have a, a guide for your inspectors or your people to, um, to work off of, it's very easy to get off the tracks. Um, and we have a field supervisor. Um, he also does field, he also does inspections, but he will do uh, random site visits. Then we'll do a score card where we're, where we go to the house and go, okay, if the house is vacant, there better be a water bottle sitting at the house. If there's a customer that shows up like, Hey, here you go. Here's a water. Uh, we have like pop-up chairs that we have, you know, like little uh, tailgate chairs. And we'll set that down if it's vacant for the customer, for them to have a place to sit. Uh, we always put down our custom-made floor mats at the front door, like, hey, welcome home. Uh, it, you know, those little things. Uh, we want to make sure that they're putting up their ladder properly for safety. You know, we'll take a picture while we're there. And we don't tell them that we're showing up. We just randomly pop up. Um, and they get a scorecard from us. And if it's not up to our standards, then we have to revisit that. And they'll get an additional visit that month as well. So. Um, that combined with our procedures of how to do an inspection and how not to do an inspection are probably the two that I am personally most proud of just because I come from the technician background. Some people will start their businesses, not from a technician background, but as a business owner or as a sales guy, and they'll 
they'll partner with a technician and start a business that way. So, you know, for me coming from a technician, which is the most common way, um, that's, that's, that's what I'm most proud of. Man, that's some fire, dude. I just, uh, I just wrote down my, like my hand was on fire. I'm going to put that into my business for, for, for my roofing company. I just learned some valuable nugs right there. So let's talk about what process do you have in place to regularly win new business? Yeah, so we're constantly reaching out to um, agents. So the most, the bulk of our business comes from uh, real estate agents, and that's just the name of the game in this world. Uh, so we have our active CRM system that's set up, and uh, one of the things that we do is we try to do a lot of active touches, right? So, and uh, what, how we touch our agents is um, one of the most important ones that that we try to target are agents that go inactive. So if an agent doesn't send us a home inspection within 90 days, that's whenever we consider an agent to be inactive and we'll, we'll go sending them out emails, uh, you know, a $5 gift card, or we'll send them something in the mail with like a dollar scratch off lottery ticket. Um, we'll call them, we'll touch them. Hey, how's it going? Did, you know, how was your last experience with us? We'll get, we'll send them out. Um, this is all, we have everything set up in CRM, uh, but we'll send them like a coupon code. Hey, here's $50 off your next inspection. Um, so that's one of the ways that we retain our business. Um, how we get new business um, is essentially we target the top 20% of the real estate agents in Northeast Florida. So uh, in general, across the United States, uh, the top 20% of the real estate agents do 80% of transactions. And that's pretty basic and standard. So what we want to have is, you know, in Florida, uh, specifically in our area, we don't have access to uh that database. So we can't go in and find or search for agents who are doing the most work. So you have to basically become friends with a broker who is willing and able to just send you a list of names um, that's on the top 20 list or top 20%. Uh, so we'll take that list and then we won't bug them, but we'll call those agents and just say, hey, you know, hey, we're calling from Gray Home Inspections. We see, uh, you know, we follow you on Facebook and we see all the work that you'd like to do. We'd love to tell you or, you know, have lunch, or I, I don't know the exact script that we use now, uh, but that's how we get new business. We make a lot of phone calls. And then also what's probably been the most effective for us is not the phone calls because a lot of people don't like that. We'll send texts, but social media, man. Um, I'm heavy on social media, but just sending a direct message on Facebook or Instagram. Hey, I see you everywhere. You're awesome. Uh, I'd love to learn more about your business. I would love to learn more about you. Uh, would you be willing to go out for coffee or lunch or a beer or whatever it may be? I'm, I'm really good at figuring people out. So I, I, I can kind of tell for the most part, like if I need to send a message to this guy about going to get a beer or, hey, do you want to go out and have tea? You know what I mean? Um, but just lots of constant reaches, uh, touching individuals and just staying on the phone, staying active on social media. And, uh, you know, we did have our, so, uh, so let's, let's dive that a little deeper on that topic right there. So you got the top 20, you got the broker, you get the list, and then you start reaching out and connecting with these people. Is there some type of automation or reminder that your tech sales people slash technicians have like every 30, 40 days, they need to do another touch. Like if so, what is that, uh, where there's a process where they know they need to reach out to them? Cause some salespeople are just hunters. They go hunt and they want the kill right now. And then some people on their disc profile, they're, they're actually good at the follow-up, but, but most salespeople are not good at the follow-up. So I'm curious, what is y'all's process to have your technicians constantly 
reaching out every 30 to 45 days or whatever that number is for y'all. Um, and so that's something that we've talked about as far as our technicians, um, you know, the inspectors uh, reaching out, but that's not something that we have in writing for them to go reach out because that's not their job to go reach out. But essentially what we do and that we do ask that they follow up with all the agents after the inspection is completed. And they're really good about that. So we, we are the most reviewed uh, company, home inspection company in the state of Florida, except for one guy in uh, Miami. Um, I left you that, a five-star review, by the way. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah. yeah, I want you. I want you to leave one for my company as well. I'll send you the link. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, um, Google's power. So okay, so that's a process. That's something that you're going to put together, and then maybe have like one of your administrators remind your or whoever is going to make that call. Uh, so you have that repetitive touch. That's what it sounds like. And I think that kind of goes along with our inactive agent list, right? If agents are using us, it's a really personal business. Home inspections is a customer service-based business first. Um, So if you're friendly and nice and whatever, you know, naturally your instinct is just to talk to them or when you're at an inspection, you have conversation, you know, you do it. But um, I think kind of what you were asking already kind of goes hand in hand with our inactive agent list, right? If you're not talking with an agent within 90 days and they're a top producer, something happened there. They either had a bad experience with us or our price is right or another competitor came in who they like more just because maybe they're, they just mold better with that person. So um, that's already something that we have in place that 90 day mark. We don't want to touch them once a month. You know, it's going to get annoying. Like, Hey, you know, we were just together, you know, three weeks ago, leave me alone. Um, yeah. So we, we look for 90 days. Um, I got you. That's yeah, good that's information. Okay. That's very good information. Now what's a characteristic or habit that you instill that's made you so successful as the owner? Just being personable. I'm not the best inspector in the world or in the state. Hell, probably not in Jacksonville. I'm good at what I do. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm pretty good. Uh, but so are my guys. But what we look for when we hire an inspector and what I've instilled in them is we don't hire the person with the highest IQ. We hire the person who's the most personable. I could teach any one of you guys who are watching this video and your wives how to be a home inspector, right? And I'm sure the guys watching this can also say the same thing. Yeah, I can teach just about anybody to do carpentry, you know, or I can teach anyone to be a roofer. It just takes time. Um, But with the inspection side, because it is so personable, you're constantly having conversations with your real estate partners. You get intimate with your customers. You're walking into their house. They're trusting you with this million dollar purchase. Um, You just have to be friendly. And I have, our company has blown some of our competition out of the water um, people who have been in business for 20, 30 years, and they are still stuck in this rut, or they're still stuck with just one inspector that they've had for the last five or 10 years. Uh, and it's because they're great inspectors, but they just don't know customer service. Um, so giving the person or the individual, the Chick-fil-A experience or the Disney world experience is really what we strive for. And that's what I instill in our guys call people, be friendly, laugh with them, joke with them, just be a normal human being. Mm. And I think that's the best attribute that I've given our people. Hey, we're not robots. We're people here. Okay. So just have fun. You know, we're here to do a job. We're here to be serious. It is serious, but we're also here to have fun. And I love that. I love that. Give, give people the Chick-fil-A or the Disney experience. I'm going to put that in my (laughs) weekly meetings. Now, what's the last book that you read cover to cover uh, that you could share and a lesson you learned from it? What is the last book? I'd have, man, I read so many. I, 
Uh, so the last one that I read, I reread it, um, but I read the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Great yeah, guy. Okay. And the uh, lesson you would learn from it, you could share. I don't know why I'm struggling so bad to tell you the because uh, it's not a book. You know, I didn't just like say the most popular book that everyone reads, right? Like it's kind of an unusual one. So um, I think a part of that book, he just talked about um, almost getting to know yourself better. I know we've talked about it, but he was one of the main reasons why I started doing cold therapy and cold showers and meditation. Um, so that is one of the things that I just, again, took from that is just the meditative part of your life. like how transformative that can be. And I, I've, I've talked about this before in the past, but before I read that book, it was, it was weird to me to want to go and meditate. Like what is meditating? Um, dong, you know what I mean? Like, what is yeah. it? And so I didn't yeah. even want to try it. Um, but rereading that and just like circling myself around uh, other individuals like yourself and just having that book reiterate what he says, is just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not putting this into words. Um, okay. but just kind of reiterating how important it is to take care of your mental self as well as your physical self. Um, and he touches on that in that book. And, uh, yeah, we, we only get, we only get one life, you know, and we can hustle into the midnight hours and grind away, but then we burn out. So it sounds like that book has taught you some lessons about balance. It sounds like it's taught you some lessons about finding yourself. Sounds like it's taught you some lessons about going deep within to understand who you are. We could have made that uh, comment about five minutes less had you had just said that. That was perfect. perfect. (laughs) Hey, you know what? That's what I'm here for. Um, So I have to ask you, what is the best tip you can give an owner uh, who's leading a team who wants to leave a legacy? I love the tough questions. Um. Maybe I'm going to have to circle that. What do I want to be known for? Um, you know, and are you referring to what do you want to leave as a legacy to your? So you're talking to owners and they're leading a team of people. And what tip would you give them or strategy or principle that has helped you and that they want to leave a legacy? Like what tip could you give them on leading and building a good culture? Be firm, but fair. Um, call your people have a conversation. Don't let it go too long without just reaching out, right? Because inspectors, we work autonomously, you know, we're out by ourselves at these houses. And at the beginning, I struggled with that to just go and reach out because we all got so busy. There were times where I would go two or three months at the beginning and I didn't talk to my guys. It was, Hey, send me your payroll sheet, you know, and we'll send it out because I, I struggled as a business owner, getting it started to actually want to start to step away and get out of the field to where, I was working 70, 80 hours a week. What time do I have to go reach out to my guys, right? Like they're all making money, but it's important to to reach out to them and to have conversations. So the legacy that I would want to leave is just to make sure that they know that you care and um, just a random phone call. Hey, how, you know, remember your kids or remember your employees, uh, their spouse's name. You know, if you have a paycheck system, we use paycheck, but if you have a payroll system, you know, you can put custom notes in there you know, their dog's name, their daughter's name. And I'll do that. You know, I'll call my guy, Jeff. Hey man, how's Leighton doing today? You know, I know you said she had a sore throat the other day. She better, right? Just, you know, when the boss calls and they're asking about your your daughter or your son, you know, going to daycare, your wife, you know, the surgery that they had, that goes a long way, right? Amen. Amen. You know, 
I appreciate you saying that. I learned from another GoBro on my podcast. He said he calls it the alignment conversation that he has with his wife, but he also has it with his workers. And here it is. The alignment conversation is once a week. And what it does is it's a relationship recharge. It's four questions. The first question is you ask your teaming partner, the person that works for you or your wife. And me and my wife started doing that. And we felt like recharged the first time we did it. And I started doing it with my team and they just like, they opened up to me. And so I'm going to teach this to you. First question is, what did you do well this week? Share with me, what did you do well? And then let them talk. And then, uh, and then say, are you open to it? And then from that, say, these are the things I appreciate you about you. What did you do well this week? These are the things I appreciate about you. And you tell them that. And then you ask them, what could you improve on? And they'll say whatever. And then that's where you say, are you open to suggestion? And you can give a few suggestions, but they have to say, yeah, I'm open. What do you got? So that's question number two. What could you improve upon? Question number three, what did I, what did we as a company do well this week? Or if you're talking to your wife, hey, what did I do well this week? And then your wife will tell you, well, you did well this week. Or your worker would say, oh, we as a company did well this week, blah, 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 blah. And then, uh, and then you can say, you can also ask, what could we as a company improve upon? That's one question I started uh, asking, and I'm getting some serious insights in my business from people that are brand new that are talking to the boss. And then this week, I tell, tell me this week, how did you feel? Because people forget to tap into their feelings, and they'll tell you, this week I felt, and do that with your wife, do that with your workers, and try to you know do it, man. It's it's phenomenal. And now I have somebody do it for me, uh, but. That's called the relationship recharge alignment conversation. Austin Gray, the owner of Home Inspections Inc. Listen, if you're a contractor in the Jacksonville, Florida area and you need a good uh, teaming channel partner, reach out to him. Or if you're a homeowner listening or if you want to reach out to Austin, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, so it's backwards, but 904-500-GRAY or 500-PEST. Pretty easy. 904-500-GRAY or PEST. And uh, if you want to reach us on the on Facebook or uh, Instagram, uh, just type in Gray Home Inspections or Gray Pest Control. And we also got our websites uh, that you can find. If you just Google us, uh, we'll pop right up. Man, Austin, you delivered so many goods today, man. I got a whole page and I love <laughs> being able to connect with you on our weekly calls and also on this. Thank you so much for being on the Real Construction Owners Podcast. Love Peace. it. Thanks, man. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave me a comment. Let me know what you want to learn. Let me know what you liked about this episode. And seriously, if you want to grow your business and create revenues for your family, there's no better purchaser than the government. They spend billions and billions of dollars on buying stuff, on cell phones, on laptop. If you want to be come sell roofs to them, if you want to, if you're a general contractor or a home builder, one of our students has made over a million dollars this year by you utilizing the principles that we teach. So we do have some links in the description down below. Thank you for tuning in and I'll see you in the next episode of the Real Construction Owners Podcast. Peace.